This is Live Well Talk on telemedicine during COVID-19. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at UNA Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital. With COVID-19 forcing us to change our uh, daily lives as well as practice social distancing, the practice of medicine has certainly changed. Without putting a lot of specifics going forward, I, I would like to talk to Dr. Cleet Younger, who is with Family Medicine Medical District of Unity Point Health and Unity Point Clinic, to talk about how technology and telemedicine, uh, in quotation marks, has influenced his practice during this time. Dr. Younger, good morning. Good morning. Obviously, with the pseudo shelter in place order that we have, the impetus to cut back on elective or non essential uh, appointments, surgeries, your practice panel of patients, they're still there. Mm -hmm. They're still there. They still have diabetes. They still have hypertension. They still have every problem that they had before. Mm -hmm. Now there's just a barrier to connecting with them. Mm -hmm. what, what, what have you done to go over or around that barrier? Well, so the big thing so far is that we've basically had five years of innovation in two weeks. So what yeah, otherwise yeah. would have taken healthcare years and years to go through with the necessity of evolving telemedicine in one week with uh, the rapid change in you know, how we're operating in our society, we had to change our practice in one week. And it was incredible how that transition occurred. The good thing was is that providers were okay with it and patients were okay with it at the same time. One of the things that takes so long sometimes is people not being on the same page. Everybody was on the same page the government, the providers, the patients, so we were able to make things happen in one week. And, and we saw that with the electronic health record. If it wouldn't have been for the uh, Affordable Care Act that mandated that, mm -hmm. we'd still be a hybrid of paper and computers and mm -hmm. some and different computers, et cetera, and without interoperability. So this is definitely a milestone. Mm -hmm. I, I think this doesn't change back. Give us some examples of how you've been able to manage your uh, practice so, so it's really interesting, and I think the patient experience has been interesting too. I mean, obviously there's things that you can only do in person. So certain physical exam things, like if somebody hurts their shoulder or their ankle, but that's not always true. It's amazing what you can kind of talk through. But sometimes we need laboratory testing. So that's one of the things that still is kind of a challenge because people still have to go out and get that, and we try to do that in a safe way. But it's interesting talking through a shoulder injury with a patient because you actually have to educate them on what you're thinking about and what you're looking for so that they can tell you more about their anatomy. So from a patient's standpoint, I think it's been kind of fun because you have to over the phone first educate them what to look for, then they kind of have to relay the information back to you. So even though it's a little bit more tedious going through some of the details of like, you know, an ankle injury or shoulder injury on the phone, I think there's actually an educational component that the patient gets that they don't otherwise get in the office. Because we're not always talking through what we're doing on a right, physical right. exam, but you certainly are when you're doing it over the phone. Right. We also talk, like when I'm talking to patients too, I end up talking more about the things I'm thinking about as far as different potential causes and risks and actually involve the patient in thinking through that or taking on some of that decision making to help me figure that out. Uh, explaining, I have this limitation because we're on the phone and I can't see and touch this. So I'm going to describe these things to you, and I want you to think about your own body and what you're feeling and seeing to help me make that decision of what to do. And so patients have really embraced that because it's really a learning uh, thing for them, too, and they get to learn more about their body as they're going through the process. Now, I know prior to this that Union Point Clinic, and I don't know what degree you were doing, I know that patients through the, the portal, uh, they could have discussions with their physician. Is, is that 
amplified or is it the same or is this always telephone calls? How are you, how are you connecting with We've these patients? We've definitely seen more of the portal messaging. So okay. the messaging from patients has definitely gone up quite a bit. But a lot of times that actually then results in a telephone visit. So because there so many people are staying at home, the volume of patients that we're seeing has actually gone down so that we've actually been more apt to then convert a back and forth email conversation with a patient through the chart to a telephone visit where we can actually talk through. Sometimes you just need more words than what you can do just typing back Sure, sure. Now patients can share pictures through that though. So that's been pretty helpful because we've actually had patients send a rash, then we have a telephone visit and now we've got visual and- through, through the patient portal. Yes, so they can send us pictures and then we can then talk through it. So that can be really helpful because then you can supplement the phone discussion with an actual picture of what's going on. Interesting. Have you done any, I'm not very tech, it, it, technology sometimes for me, it's like all those shampoo bottles my wife has in the shower. I'm not really sure what they're all for. Why so I one just, cost $50? Yeah, yeah, so cost I just don't touch them. Yeah. You know, I just yeah. stay away from them. So sometimes technology's like that. You know, mm -hmm. I'm like, so, so are, are you using Skype at all or some sort of visual so it modality? Depends, it depends on the patient Vehicle. and yeah, which thing we're doing. So CMS waived the, and HIPAA both waived FaceTime and Skype. Um, for like, for example, for nursing home visits. So for nursing home visits, we are doing FaceTime because every facility has an iPad or an iPhone. Um, so we are doing FaceTime visits in all the facilities. And so we get that face-to-face -face interaction and we can actually watch a nurse do physical exam things we ask. And so we can actually get that level of detail. In the clinic, it's a little bit different because everybody's, the technology people have available in their home is different. So most of those visits have been via phone. I have done for some patients that live in assisted living or that have the ability to, we've done some password protected like Zoom visits so we can have that face-to-face -face interaction because Zoom is pretty easy to use just like FaceTime. Um, yeah, now there's been some controversy with Zoom though, correct, as far as security. Yeah, so you gotta do the password protected part of it. So if you send out the link and it has a password, then that's, that's not where the issue comes up. The issue was people were guessing uh, people's Zoom IDs and just getting into meetings when they weren't supposed to, particularly like, you know, school things and things like that. So if you use the password part of it, it's not an issue. So, and now they fixed it, it's defaulted to password. You, you've said patients in general have been receptive to it, mm -hmm. which that's understandable. You know, that compl it completely makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, because there is so many uh, follow-up visits that, you know, I used to joke that 45 seconds of the visit was actual medicine and the extra other 15 minutes was just socializing, yes. you know, just talking about mm -hmm. whatever the events were, how, mm -hmm. how they're doing in their families. How, how have other physicians done it? I mean, I personally think I would, I, I think I could adapt because I, I am amenable to change uh, reluctantly. You either change or you become irrelevant. Mm -hmm. So you, sometimes you have to make that transition. But I, I think I, as a physician, I'd be a little resistant. How have your partners done with that? good. I think with established patients, it's easier because you already have that relationship built. Okay. I think the challenge would, and I, we haven't had a lot of this because people aren't really like establishing new patient provider relationships right now because they're kind of just staying at home. But I could see the difficulty in a new patient with a complex medical condition that that would be a lot harder. It's definitely easier the patients I've known for a long time. And so we just hit it off just like we would in the office. But a new patient, it's a little bit different because you don't have any of that typical social interaction. Now, if you look at um, research on psychology, we actually sometimes are fooled by our impressions of people and sometimes actually removing 
layers of information actually makes us more efficient. So if you were to read Malcolm Gladwell, for example, he may tell you actually you might make better objective decisions over the phone with the patient where you're not uh, tricked by some of the social things that we do as human beings and some of the, you know, just the ways we interact with each other. So I think that's interesting to think about when I'm talking to a patient on the phone. Am I actually being more objective because I'm on the phone and I'm not being tricked by social cues or, but that works both ways. A lot of times in healthcare, part of your job as a physician is not just to make a diagnosis. You have to convince a patient that the treatment is going to work because so much of the response rate to a treatment is the patient's belief in that it's safe and that it's going to work in their commitment. We know that 50% of people, for example, don't take their high blood pressure medicines. And a lot of times it's because fear of side effects and that sort of thing. So part of what you're doing as a physician is you're actually influencing a patient to take a medication and to feel confident in doing that. So one of the things you lose over the phone is you lose part of that persuasion and that ability to influence a patient to actually commit to doing the treatment, which then has downstream effects on their response to that. That's a good point. Now, now I know you have an extensive uh, post-acute nursing home practice, mm-hmm. and you so you've been using telemedicine in that situation as well? Yeah, because we go through nine buildings, and it just wouldn't be fair or safe for us to go into that many different facilities and put the facilities at risk. And right. so we have mutually, the facilities and the providers that do that have decided we should stay out of the buildings unless there's something that we physically need to be there for. But really, the only thing that I have had to physically be in a building for was actually an interaction with a family with an interpreter with a difficult end-of-life conversation. And it was just so complex, there's no way we could have done it video. It wouldn't have worked with the family and the interpreter and me doing that conversation. So we had to be face-to-face. But we did it actually in the courtyard, an outdoor space with everybody kind of distanced from each other to make that happen. But it's incredible. If you have a good nurse at a facility and you have FaceTime, you can see what they're doing and have them do physical exam things and get that, uh, that objective feedback that you need. And it's worked amazing. And so we've had a really good experience with it. I will love it when I can go back to face-to-face visits with patients. But for what we've had to do in the last couple of weeks, we have seen no decrease in our performance as far as how we're taking care of our patients. I know the hospital, the, uh, the hospital medicine service uh, did uh, use a robot just to, to practice and have a dry run um, to do rounds to cut down on personal protective equipment mm-hmm. going in and out of the room. You know, so they saw them in the morning. And then they did the robot in the afternoon. I, I don't know if robot's the right term because it's not a from a, like a Isaac Asamoah right, yeah. definition yeah. of robot. But the patients, you know, obviously being an old school doctor, I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. Uh, the patients really liked it. The, the the patient reception was this that, that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I found that I, I was kind of surprised. Uh, and the nurses liked it, and so so it's a, a step in the right direction. One of the, the interesting thing about that, one, I think it actually saves time, like so windshield time driving to bu- buildings or walking around a hospital. You can actually see more patients sometimes if you use that technology, so patients perceive that. The other thing that's interesting is that you know people have embraced technology, but also people really want what they want and they want it now. So one of the things we know that's changing about the market just in the United States in general is people are shifting their desires to, they would rather see a physician now to address their issue that they don't know, then see a physician they do know at a future date and time that may be restricted by the provider's schedule. So one of the things that's gonna be interesting about this COVID-19 experience and the rapid ramp up of telemedicine is we've gone down this pathway. 
are we going to go back? Well, that, that was my next question, Cleet, was uh, use your best crystal ball. What's medicine look like uh, go after this? Well, I think people are going to want a lot of the aspects of this. They're going to yeah. be like, I want to see a physician right now. I don't want to wait, and I want to see whoever, and I'll just work through it because I've been able to work through this and, and survive in this other environment. So I think it will drive some of that behavior uh, to push towards that. I think that here in the Midwest, I'm not sure we'll see that quite as much. I think just the cultural differences across the United States are a little bit different. But because I can think of like particularly my geriatric population is probably going to come back into my office as soon as possible. But when you look at the generations of you know, people that are in their 20s and 30s right now, they don't access healthcare at all the same as what our geriatric population does. And this is only going to push them further to be like, I just want virtual visits. I want to talk to somebody when I want to. Only when I have a question, I don't want an established primary care provider. I'll just go in when I need stuff and, and use that, kind of like an urgent care model, but in the virtual world, because uh, everything else they can access virtually along the way. And there's actually pretty good data out there in the healthcare world that that's kind of where we're going, is that we need to start thinking about this, people not establishing with one provider forever, uh, that they may be ac accessing healthcare in a lot different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always found, so when I was in private practice, we always saved Friday afternoons for phone calls. So Friday morning, you did hospital procedures. And then Friday afternoon, we made phone calls. And if we didn't have a lot to make, we were done. You know, I always found patients, you know, so I had this all Friday afternoon to make these phone calls, right? So I had plenty of time. Mm -hmm. And I always found patients wanted to get off the phone because they felt like they were taking up my time, mm -hmm. you know? And so I, they would be like, oh, okay, thank you. You know, and, and they would want to end it. Is, is that what you're seeing? I mean, because I, I think physicians would worry that, okay, I'm going to get in a 45-minute conversation with someone over something. Have you seen that with telehealth? Um, or? I think I definitely had people say that. I think there's such a, like a, in the United States, we're all kind of in this together kind of moment. So I think I've heard a lot of patients say, hey, thank you. I know it's really busy during this COVID-19 thing. Thank you for calling me. I don't want to take up too much of your time. So I think there's a national push from that standpoint. I think that people definitely feel that way. I think that the perception is just from the amount of effort that it takes to go into an office to get ruined by a nurse. There's so much effort that goes into that to even getting into the office that you feel like you need to make the most of that time because you put all this effort in. Where when it's just a phone call, like it was, you know, they were just at home and answered the phone. So they haven't inputted as much energy into it. So don't feel like they probably need to get as much out of it. Um, so maybe that's what we kind that's of That's a great observation. Um, with that, and just people wanting to spare resources right now. Right, so right. So try not to over Well, I can, you know, I was talking to Dr. Schweitzer, orthopedic surgeon, the other day. We were, we were uh, having a conversation, and we were kind of talking about the same stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, for like a, if you have a well-educated, uh, intelligent patient that understands infections and dysfunction, total knee joint, you, you could do that over the phone, follow up, you know, mm -hmm. say, hey, is, how's your how's your wound looking? How are you doing with therapy? And you're going to get the therapy report, mm -hmm. you know, so that could really make their practice much more efficient. Yeah. Or even just one picture, you know, from right. a therapist, right. what's your range of motion? What's right. the color of the skin right. like? Yeah, I think and that's this, all we're looking for. I think some right? of this is kind of exciting in a way. Yeah. And it's been interesting too, you know, like I think patients are realizing that there's a lot of efficiency that we practice when we go in to see a patient. Like sometimes there's three pieces of information and in one thing you look at. And those four pieces of information are going to make every decision. There are 20,000 words that occur in a conversation, but there's three things you need to hear and one thing you need to look at. And we don't really necessarily talk to patients about that that's how our process is, is pattern recognition of finding things. But when you're trying to be more efficient over the phone, 
or you're trying to just get to those details that are important, you get to that efficiency really rapidly. Um, it, 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 it's it, interesting. I hadn't thought of that before, but you're absolutely right. You know, I have my home ventilator practice that I take care of patients in the home that are on chronic ventilators. And, you know, I find that all the time that uh, so, some of that you, you do the phone, you know, and you'll tell the, the parent or, the, or the, the spouse what you're looking for, you know. And they get pretty good at when mm -hmm. they call you back the next time. They're like, okay, here's what the saturation was. Here's what their breath sounds sound like. You know, here's what their skin feels like. You know, they get pretty good at it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, I, if I was making the house call, which I do, I don't sit there and go, okay, now I'm looking at the modeling of lower extremities. Mm -hmm. Now I'm doing this. I just kind of go through it and they're kind of watching. But you're right. When you have to explain it to them, there is some return on that investment, isn't there? Yeah, I see that in the nursing home world because I, I, you know, I interact with nurses on the phone all the time taking calls. And so I've educated them over time of what to look for. So when they call me, they know what to say. But that same thing would work with patients too and that they would understand more about, you know, particularly like chronic conditions and things they're dealing with. So you wonder if a heart failure patient that had that consistent interaction would actually learn to be like, ooh, this is an early sign of a heart failure <laughs> exacerbation. I probably need to do something because this is the stuff that the doctor looks for and now I'm kind of seeing that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's an example of that, of maybe we take too much away from people's independence and then we don't educate them and give them enough independent uh, decision-making about their health to actually interact or intervene sooner than when they finally present to a physician to get an evaluation. Well, I, and, and, and you've heard me say this before that, you know, in medicine, you have two relationships with your patient. It's either paternal or fraternal. Mm -hmm. And I, I can see where this technology could help with both those relationships in, mm -hmm. in, in, in different ways, but positive ways. Mm -hmm. Speaker phones are interesting. Uh, spouses are interesting. You know, the thing that's interesting about family medicine, I've had a lot of people, now my wife wants to talk to you or now my husband wants to talk to you. And they get on the phone and ask a bunch of questions. So there's been interesting things like that. Like that usually doesn't happen as much in the clinic as it has been on the oh, phone. It's kind of interesting. I, I, <laughs> when, I, when I was in private practice and I would do a car, synchronous cardioversion, right? You know, so you're going to shock their heart back mm -hmm. in normal rhythm. You start telling this farmer about it, about what we're going to do. And they go, Doc, I, I trust you. Could you just call my wife and tell her what you're going to do? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not shocking your wife's heart. I'm shocking yours. <laughs> yeah, but as soon as I get home, she's going to ask me what you said. <laughs> could you just call her, yeah. you know? So this, that probably takes care of yeah, that. Yeah, it's speakerphone. I mean, almost yeah. everybody turns yeah. speakerphone. I like that. I like so that. Kind of I like that. Well, hey, Cleet, thanks for coming in today. Once again, that was Dr. Cleet Younger with uh, Unity Point Health Family Medicine at the Medical District. If you have a topic you'd like to suggest for the uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic, uh, please uh, uh, shoot us an email at stlukescr at unipoint.org. In the meantime, wash your hands, cover your cough, and confine yourself if you're ill and uh, practice social distancing.